Folks, what does everyone do when shopping online? Well, you jump to the reviews and you see what customers actually think. Well, Bull and Branch did the hard work for you. In a recent customer survey, 96% said Bull and Branch sheets get softer with every single wash. Bull and Branch sheets are made from the finest 100% organic cotton threads on planet Earth. Buttery to the touch, super breathable. Bull and Branch sheets are perfect for both cooler and warmer months. Their luxurious signature hem sheets were made without pesticides, formaldehyde, or other harsh chemicals. They really do get softer with every single wash. Best of all, Bull and Branch gives you a 30-night risk-free trial with free shipping, returns on all orders. You're not going to want to return them. We love our Bull and Branch product. In fact, when I'm on the road, I actually travel with their cable knit throw blanket. It is that good. Their product is just awesome. After a long day, nothing feels better than a restful night's sleep in the softest, most luxurious sheets. Sleep better at night with the softest sheets from Bull and Branch. Get 15% off your very first order when you use code Ben at bullandbranch.com. That's Bull and Branch, spelled B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com. Promo code Ben. Exclusions apply. See site for details, bullandbranch.com. During the Super Bowl, Lady Gaga shocked the world by not taking an enormous political dump all over the stage. She warbled her usual agglomeration of overproduced garbage, and she strutted around the stage like a maimed llama wearing Beyonce's old outfits. And she also appeared to commit suicide two times in the same routine. But although Laura Ingram thought that she went political, she actually didn't. Laura Ingram originally tweeted Gaga had ignored the phrase under God in her recitation of the Pledge of Allegiance, but Lady Gaga actually said it. And although Lady Gaga did sing Born This Way, which has officially been named now the second worst song ever penned after John Lennon's Imagine, the halftime show was actually pretty free of politics. And this drove some people on the left out of their minds. Here's Michael Wood of the Los Angeles Times, quote, Lady Gaga misses her Super Bowl moment to say something profound. Wood complained the 30-year-old singer offered up a disappointing 12-minute medley that lacked any edge or tension. You wish she'd taken in more of what was going on offstage. Here's Chris Richards at the Washington Post. Lady Gaga calls herself a rebel, but at the Super Bowl, she played it safe. He then complimented Beyonce's ridiculous pro-Black Panthers routine at the Super Bowl last year, and he wrote, quote, With forceful elegance, Beyonce had set a precedent for what could be done on this stage musically and politically. By comparison, Gaga whiffed. Here's Piet Levy of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Gaga's overwrought performance overshadowed a potentially meaningful moment. The word safe appears in reviews from Variety, the New York Daily News, which said that Gaga landed flat, Newsday, and a bevy of other outlets. For today's media, it is a sin to merely perform the hits for which you're known. If you're given a big stage, you must immediately begin spouting protest lines from the Women's March or you're a sellout, no matter how many times you campaigned with Hillary Clinton. You will be forced to take a position, to shout about politics, to destroy your audience's goodwill by insulting at least half of them. Lady Gaga didn't. So here's a phrase I never thought I'd say. Thanks, Lady Gaga. Most Americans who were watching the Super Bowl wanted a break from the partisan rancor that now consumes most of our event-driven lives. You provided that break. That's a statement in and of itself in a time when everybody needs to calm down and take a deep breath. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Okay, so we're going to get to the Super Bowl in just one second. We're also going to get to Donald Trump and his comments about Russia. Donald Trump has been very active on Twitter. I think that he realized everybody had the weekend off and decided, okay, you know what? Now's my time. Back to the Twitter. While everyone is away, he, he grabbed back his BlackBerry, hacked into it, and began tweeting out random things. So we'll get to all of that because there's a lot to get to. Plus, he did an interview with Bill O'Reilly that was quite insane. But we'll get to all of that. You know, good Trump, bad Trump, the whole shebang. But first, we have to say thank you to our sponsors over at Blue Apron. They are the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. Their goal is to make great home cooking available to everyone and accessible to everyone. So you don't know how to cook? Doesn't matter. So long as you got some pots and pans, they send you the ingredients, they send you the recipes. It's all super fresh, and the recipes are all 
top-notch. They have established partnerships with over 150 local farms, fisheries, and ranchers across the United States. So if you're a Buy American, Hire American person, then Blue Apron is for you. And by the way, if you cook together, it creates strong bonds. I know this. I actually do this with my with my three-year-old. Uh, she likes to crack eggs whenever we do that routine. But if you're if you're somebody who is uh, who likes to cook with the family, then this is a perfect opportunity to do so. All the recipes are cookable in 40 minutes or less. They have a bunch of meals that they rotate in and out. It's a new meal every day, basically. They have featured upcoming meals like cashew chicken stir-fry with tango mandarins and jasmine rice and udon noodle soup. I don't even know what that is with miso and soft-boiled eggs, but it sounds really good. They, they have all of these really interesting recipes, and it makes you sound like a gourmet even though you really don't know what you're doing because they do all of the work for you. They put together the recipe, they put together the ingredients, and they tell you exactly what to do. If you can follow a step-by-step -step instruction manual, then you'll be able to make fantastic food for your family for less than $10 per person, and they deliver those seasonal recipes along with those pre-portioned ingredients. So it's healthy, it's it's delicious, and it's a lot it's a lot cheaper than going out to eat at a restaurant. If you go and you check out this week's menu, it gets even cheaper. First three meals you get free with free shipping. If you go to blueapron.com slash Shapiro, blueapron.com slash Shapiro, Blue Apron, it's a better way to cook. Okay, so I was the unluckiest person in America yesterday, other than Matt Ryan. Uh, I was uh, I, I was on a plane for virtually the entire Super Bowl because that's why we're now in a deep, dark dank hotel room uh, and uh, we brought well, Mathis was unlucky enough to have to travel with me so both of us missed the Super Bowl in its entirety <laughs> I watched a lot of it last night after we got to the hotel uh, I watched some of it this morning and of course it figures that the one time I missed the Super Bowl it ends up actually being a phenomenal game but there's a lot to talk about at the Super Bowl I talked about Lady Gaga before first of all I do have to say that my favorite moment uh, from the Super Bowl was the very beginning of her halftime show when it appeared that she'd actually finished her musical career. It sort of looked like this. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, that, I thought for a second, I was like, wow, that was the shortest halftime show in history. But it turns out, no, there was more. She actually did it again later. At the very end, she also jumped off a high object and um, she she survived, which, you know, is, is good, I, I suppose. And, uh, and so th there was that. But she didn't end up being political. Everybody thought she was going to be super-duper political. The entire left was very disappointed because everything must be political now. It is imperative that all the things have to be political. It is deeply important. So she was, she was saying beforehand that she was going to do all sorts of, of stuff about inclusion and equality. And instead, she basically went up there and she sang, God bless America and this land is your land with a bunch of drones in the background. Uh, and then she danced, as I say, like, like a crippled hyena. Uh, while singing her her patented, highly produced auto tune song, so that was not the actual political side of the of the Super Bowl. And and the game itself, you don't need me to do the analysis of the game. Although I did, I will say, I think I did have the most the most politically oriented tweet, uh, the most retweeted politically oriented tweet of the evening. It's now been retweeted, I think, twenty seven thousand times. <laughs> so it just shows you that apparently I should go into sports commentator. Uh, sports commentator mode more often. Uh, I tweeted, I can't believe the guy with the foreign model wife and a sketchy history with the rules just won after being written off. <laughs> and that was retweeted. That has now been retweeted 27,000 times. So that is, uh, you know, says something. In any case, the, the real political side was the ad. So here's something I've never understood about the advertising at the Super Bowl. First of all, you pay all this money and then obviously you get a lot of earned media. So if you do an ad, people are talking about it, it gets replayed now online. It's worth the money. But why would you absolutely ignore half the audience why would you ignore half the audience a lot of these ads were clearly geared very clearly geared toward the 
the audience of the left and not geared toward the audience of the right. And the NFL audience is going to tend to skew to the right because a lot of the NFL audience exists between the coasts. And this is why it's always been weird to me that you have like Beyonce and Lady Gaga playing halftime. And my guess is that if you had Leonard Skinner playing halftime, you'd please more of the NFL audience than you would if you had Lady Gaga playing playing that, that halftime show. In any case, some of the ads were, were very political. And the one that got a lot of attention was Audi's equal pay ad. Here is what that sounded and looked like. What do I tell my daughter? Do I tell her that her grandpa's worth more than her grandma? I don't know. Is grandpa worth more than grandma? That her dad is worth more than her mom? Do I tell her that despite her education, her drive, her skills, her intelligence, she will automatically be valued as less than every man she ever meets? something different. She drove in an Audi. This is the Audi of America's committed to equal pay for equal work. Progress is for everyone. So what that has to do with Audi, I have no clue whatsoever. I'm just confused as to why Audi thinks that driving away in an Audi makes up for the fact that she's going to be paid 71 cents on the dollar and have to bear children from her womb. But it's but nonetheless, the, the, what was hilarious about this, Audi runs this ad. And so people immediately begin slapping Audi on Facebook and Twitter and saying, uh, guys, you pay women less than you pay men. And so Audi immediately writes back, like within 20 minutes of this ad running, they immediately write back, well, if you take into account the different job positions and the number of hours worked, then actually we pay women and men the same. <laughs> it's like, uh, right, because that's for everyone. It's not just true of Audi. Like if you can name the companies that are not doing that, then you're going to need to actually talk to federal investigators because that's a crime, right? That's, that's actually against... Uh, federal law. You're not allowed to discriminate on the basis of sex under federal law. Um, but that's but so so Audi runs this ad, and uh, it immediately falls apart. So that was funny. That was one of their political ads, and it just shows how ridiculous the pandering is. And when the left says fake news, that's fake news. Right? I mean, the, this pay this wage gap myth has been a myth for a long time. In 2010, in 147 out of the 150 biggest cities in America, women were paid more than men if they had the same number, if they had no children and they were fresh out of college with the same degree, women were paid significantly more than men in many states, in, in many cities, they were actually paid like double digits more than men in terms of percentage, like 10, 12% more. It's according to Time Magazine 2010, widespread, wide-ranging study over pay. It's also true that 55% of the people in college are women, 55% of the electorate is women. 58% of all graduates of, of graduate school are women. So this idea that women are being unaccountably discriminated against on account of their vajayjays is just not true. There's no, there's no basis for that. But Audi runs that anyway. And then they wonder, and then we wonder why people believe lies. Well, it's because you see this in, in Audi commercials. Okay, that wasn't the only ad that garnered a lot of attention. There's another ad for, uh, what was this ad for? I don't even know. It's called The Journey Begins. And I'm not a big fan of ads that have nothing to do with the actual product being sold. Uh, it's it's kind of irritating to me. But here is the ad, The Journey Begins, which was seen largely as a critique of Donald Trump's immigration policy, again, at the Super Bowl. What's the point of this? So it's people waking up in what looks like a hubble and looking at pictures. 
and obviously not speaking the English. And they're jumping on a truck now. So let's And now they're driving toward the border. And very little girl is very, very happy that she's driving toward the border. And now she has reached a fence. It's like a barbed wire fence. But she's smiling because she realizes that she's going to cross the fence. And now they're keeping their, their journey. The journey has continued. And she's taking little samples all the way. She's taking, picking up a piece of garbage. She's cleaning up all the littering between Honduras and the United States, apparently. And she's walking along railroad ties and picking up all the garbage. Which is nicer. There's a lot of garbage. I mean, I assume that backpack she's carrying is pretty big. Okay, they're crossing a river. I don't know where they're getting food or water in all of this, but this, this is like the end of The Sound of Music. They just sort of run up into the hills with nothing and start singing again. Okay, so here, here they are. They're sitting at a fire. Everybody is very contemplative. And then it says, see the conclusion at journey84.com, 84 lumber. And then at the very end of that ad in the Super Bowl version, they come upon this big, big wall, right? Like the Trump wall, and then there's a big door that opens and lets them in. And so uh, here's the question. Um, are they coming illegally? Are they coming legally? Should that make a difference? What does this have to do with anything? No one knows. And again, this is just pandering for, for clicks. Are you going to buy something from 84 Lumber now? I don't even know what 84 Lumber is after watching that. Is it? Did, what, did you see a piece of lumber in that in that commercial? Like, seriously, I don't know what product 84 Lumber is selling, other than like backpacks for picking up garbage along the road, I'm just I'm just confused. So this ad got a lot of got a lot of play. Also, and the left say, "Oh, it's a slap at Trump." Oh, uh, you're right. Now that you slap Trump, he's no longer president. Congratulations, you've discovered the secret. You ran an ad on the Super Bowl about people traveling, and now Trump is no longer president. So congratulations to you. Okay, so here is the third ad that we'll play, and this is one got a, a trend started on Twitter that said hashtag boycott Budweiser. But the Boycott Budweiser sign on Twitter, somebody didn't know how to spell Budweiser, so it says Boycott Budweiser, W-I-S-E-R. So I don't know which beer you're boycotting, but it's not Budweiser. So basically everybody is stupid is the theme of, of today's particular Super Bowl show. So here is the ad from, from Budweiser that, that generated the Boycott Budweiser uh, hashtag on Twitter. You don't look like you're from around here. Dude traveling across the oceans, presumably this is the ancestor of Bush. I want to brew a beer. Why leave Germany? Okay, and his, his immigration passport is stamped. And now he's in and people are being mean to him. And he's traveling out west. He sees a black dude. And he's traveling some more. Jumping into a river. Seems like a real crazy journey over here. Welcome to St. Louis, son. Finally, he's reached St. Louis. Thank you. But next time, this is the beer we drink. Eberhard Denheiser. Dorfus Busch. And he meets Anheuser, and there's Bush, and then now, now they're friends, and they make beer. They make really, really not great beer. Okay, so that's the so, so that's the commercial. So I have a question on this. I don't understand why this commercial is bad. Like some of these, like the Audi commercial, I understand why the right is ticked over it. I really don't get particularly why the right is angry at this commercial. He's a legal immigrant. It is true that a lot of legal immigrants had a tough time when they first got here. 
And guess what? The government didn't help them out, and then they became some of the most successful magnates in the history of the United States. So that actually seems like a pretty good origin story for the U.S., right? A bunch of people come here, they brave the weather, they brave the people who are jerks, and then they make their way, and it turns out they become some of the wealthiest people in the history of the country. So that seems like a pretty pro-America ad. I understand why you'd boycott Budweiser over that. I mean, is the implication that all immigrants are bad? Because that's weird. Again, I'm fine with the, bo- the, the people smacking Audi. Audi smacked itself in the face. They, they jumped on a rake in that ad. This boycott Budweiser one is really silly to me, and I don't see the point. I also just think that, generally, if you're an advertiser, it's smart to stay away from politics. The best ad, actually, was apparently that Melissa McCarthy ad where she gets thrown into the side of a whale. Um, that was that was sort of the best one. We'll get to Melissa McCarthy later, by the way, because Melissa McCarthy had the best weekend of anybody in, in America this weekend, other than Tom Brady, who not only won the Super Bowl, but then went home to Giselle Bundchen, which is, that's a pretty good life right there, if you're Tom Brady. Uh, plus, he's going to be happy when he goes to the White House. Martellus Bennett, by the way, is not going to the White House. He's another one of these Patriots players. He says he's going to boycott the White House. Again, people are kind of going nuts over all of this. Yeah, well, I remember when there were a bunch of players who wouldn't go to the White House to see to see Obama. Um, and there were a couple of NHL players who didn't want to go to the White House to see Obama. It's his prerogative. He doesn't want to go to the White House. That's his problem. Everybody needs to just take a deep breath. Okay, so... We have to say thank you to another one of our advertisers. Now that is our advertisers over at Mac Weldon. So if you are in the market for the best underwear and if you're in the market for the best socks and the market for the best for the best sweatshirts and sweatpants, it, comfortable clothing, Mac Weldon is the best. The best. They believe in smart design and premium fabrics fabrics and simple shopping. It's like underwear, as I say, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, sweatpants. You can wear it's stuff that you can wear out, it's stuff that you can wear in. Uh, I am currently wearing the Mack Weldon underwear, and I have consistently been wearing the Mack Weldon underwear, not just since they became advertisers, um, but even before that, I had, I had gotten a pair, and uh, they are they are very comfortable, and uh, they, they stand the test of time. They really don't fall apart. They are very well made. Uh, you go to MacWeldon.com, get 20% off using promo code Shapiro, Mack Weldon, M-A-C-K Weldon, W-E-L-D-O-N.com, get 20% off using that promo code Shapiro, that's Mack Weldon. And uh, again, if, if you're looking for comfortable wear, they are the best. There's no one who makes comfortable wear better. And you, the truth is you spend more of your time in comfortable wear these days than you do in your actual formal clothing. Uh, particularly if you work in, in the media as I do, you spend like one hour in, in, in clothing that looks like this, and then you get into your sweatpants and look like a homeless person the rest of the day. But Mack Weldon makes sure you don't look like a homeless person. You're just really comfortable. So MacWeldon.com, and you get 20% off if you use that promo code Shapiro. Okay, so... Meanwhile, Donald Trump is uh, is back on Twitter, and Donald Trump is also doing his Super Bowl preview with Bill O'Reilly routine. So th- this has become an annual thing. I think it's really dumb. It, it, this whole routine where we mix politics with the Super Bowl, I don't know why the president is doing it. I hated it when Obama did it. I'm not a big fan when Trump does it. Look back. I was very critical of Obama putting his face on every major event in the United States. I'm not a big fan of politicians becoming celebrities because it seems to me that our politicians are there to do a job. They're not there to be celebrities. Again, I think that politicians should be treated basically like DMV workers, except with more scorn. And uh, and that does not seem to be the way that the United States is moving. In any case, Donald Trump does this interview with Bill O'Reilly before the Super Bowl. And in this interview, he says a very, very stupid thing. And here is what he, here's the exchange with Bill O'Reilly. It's about Vladimir Putin and the Russians. Do you respect Putin? I do respect him. Do you? Why? Well, I respect a lot of people, but that doesn't mean I'm going to get along with him. He's a leader of his country. Uh, I say it's better to get along with Russia than not. And if Russia helps us in the fight against ISIS, which is a major fight, and Islamic 
terrorism all over the world. Right. Made your fight. That's a good thing. Will I get along with him? I have no idea. He's a killer, though. Putin's a killer. A lot of killers. You got a lot of killers. Why do you think our country's so innocent? Oh God! And this is the this is the politics of somebody who's watched politics for five minutes. And again, he may do policy that you like, but that does not justify him saying things that if they came out of the mouth of Obama, you and all of your friends would be protesting in the streets, as would I. Okay, you're not supposed to say things like America is as bad as Vladimir Putin, and we're all killers. This is just a routine, as John Podhoritz pointed out. This is just a routine from Godfather. You remember when Michael is supposed to be this kind of sophisticated about politics, and he's now become the Godfather. And she says, politicians don't have people murdered. Senators don't have people murdered. And he says, now who's being naive, Kay? Okay, that, that, that's the tr- routine that Trump is doing here. But the question is, to what end, right? What's the purpose of this? First of all, is it true that the United States kills just like Russia? No, it's not true that the United States is just like Russia. No, it's not true in The Godfather that senators have people killed. If senators could have people killed, I've lived in California my entire life. I assure you, Barbara Boxer or Dianne Feinstein probably would have done it by now. Okay, Kamala Harris would, would have me on the hit list. But that's not how our politics works, thanks, thank God. That, that would be a, a corrupt oligarchy in which rights didn't matter. That is not here. That is Russia. Okay, Russia is an oligarchy. Lots and lots and lots of Vladimir Putin's enemies have died under mysterious circumstances, including people who have been poisoned in, in England by Russian agents. Okay, here's just a list of some of the political rivals and journalists who have died under Putin. Alexander Litvinenko, that's the guy who was poisoned, Anna Politkovska, Anna Politkovska who was the, the journalist who was shot to death in her apartment building, Boris Nemtsov, Sergei Magnitsky, Natalia, Estimarovl, Sergei Yashenkov, Paul Klebnikov, Stanislav Markov, Anastasia Babarova. Okay, so those are just a few of the people who have been killed under, under Vladimir Putin. Not all of those is Putin responsible for. We can't say which ones of those he approved. But there's no question that to be a political dissident in Russia is a very, very dangerous business. Beyond which, Vladimir Putin acted as an agent of the Soviet KGB. He said that the fall of the Soviet Union was the greatest tragedy of the 20th century, a regime that was responsible for the murder of tens of millions of people and the and the oppression of hundreds of millions of people. He allegedly greenlit a bombing of apartment buildings in Moscow in 1999 that gave him an excuse to crack down on Chechenian dissidents. He invaded Georgia in 2008 for no reason other than he wanted to grab the territory. That resulted in hundreds of dead. He invaded Ukraine. That's now resulted in over 10,000 dead. Again, these are international war crimes, what he's been doing in Syria. They've purposefully been bombing hospitals. They've purposefully been bombing civilian areas. Emboldened Russian hardliners in Ukraine shot down a civilian airliner in 2014. Vladimir Putin, he's manipulated election results. The idea that Vladimir Putin and American presidents are on the same par, when people do this Noam Chomsky routine, or they do, well, Obama, well, Obama. Okay, again, this is a leftist routine, and you're just doing it because Trump said it. I'm going to be intellectually honest here. I like a lot of things Trump is doing. That's a whole different thing. We're going to get to some of the things I like that Trump is doing in a second. But it is intellectually dishonest to pretend that you would not be upset if the president of the United States had a D by his name and was saying that Vladimir Putin's Russia is no worse than Barack Obama's America or Donald Trump's America. Also, I I, I fail to see how you can constantly say things like, if you criticize Trump, you don't like America, and in the same sentence say, America's just like Vladimir Putin's Russia. Okay, the, 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 those do not match up. This is really silly. And here's the problem. A lot of conservatives are falling into this trap of, I like some of what Trump is doing, therefore I must like all of what Trump says. So Mike Pence has unfortunately begun to do this. It's kind of yucky. Here's Mike Pence, the vice president of the United States, going after going after media for, for commenting on Trump's comments about Putin. What you heard in that quote was a commitment to explore the possibility of starting anew and looking for common cause 
with Russia and with President Putin. Now, you also heard skepticism there. The president said it'd be better if we got along with Russia. Maybe me, we won't, but he's me, absolutely determined, and he told the American people this in the campaign, he's absolutely determined to explore ways, particularly in confronting and destroying ISIS, you, to work with you, Russia, and, and that's when, the spirit of those comments. When you, when a president speaks with a moral voice when he's reengaging the country. He suggested that America was on the equivalent par with somebody who was a killer. I simply don't accept that there was any moral equivalency in the president's comments. Look, do you think America is morally uh, superior to Russia? What, what you have in this new president is someone who is willing to and is in fact engaging the world, including Russia, okay. and saying, where, where can we find common interests that will advance the security of the American people, the peace and prosperity of the world, and he's determined to come at that in a new and renewed way. But America morally superior to Russia, yes or no? I believe that the ideals that America has stood for throughout our history represent the highest ideals of, of so humankind. Yes. I was actually at, I got, I was at Independence Hall yesterday and, and I, I stood in the very room where the Constitution of the United States was crafted, the very building where the Declaration of Independence was held forth. Every American, including our president, represents that we, I, we uphold the yes highest answer? ideals of the world. Shouldn't we be able to just say yes to that question, though? I, I, think, I think it's without question, John. That America is morally superior to Russia. American ideals uh, are, are superior to countries all across the world. Just say yes, my God, what the hell is wrong with you? We're gonna have to have a good Pence, bad Pence segment if this continues. Again, this is what Pence did during the, during the debate. He also pretended that Donald Trump didn't exist. So you saw the tape of Trump saying that Vladimir Putin is, is okay, so he's a killer, so there are killers here too. People, there are lots of killers, okay? Okay, no, not okay. And there's Mike Pence pretending that it never happened. Very, very frustrating. Now, I'm gonna tell you what this exposes about some splits in the Republican Party in a second. But in order for you to see that, in order for you to see the good Trump portion of today's broadcast, you're gonna to have to go over to dailywire.com. Go over to dailywire.com right now. $8 a month will buy you access to the rest of the live broadcast today and every day. You can also get the annual subscription. We are in the very final days of the get a free signed copy of my novel, True Allegiance. If you go get an annual subscription right now, this is the Ben Shapiro Show, and of course, we are the most popular conservative podcast in America. So what you're seeing right now is that the Republican Party is breaking down into basically three categories vis-a-vis -vis Trump. And this is all very weird. I mean, honestly, everything that's going on politically is very weird because in, in the past few days, I've seen my name linked with the word moderate. I'm not sure how you can label me a political moderate. I am more conservative than Donald Trump is on every issue. There is not an issue where Donald Trump is more conservative than I am. In, in terms of traditional constitutional conservative limited government conservatism. But I've been labeled moderate. And the reason I think this is the case is because it used to be that politics was gauged along a right-left scale, right? It was basically just an x-axis. I'm not going to do too much math here, okay? Because this isn't really math. But politics used to be along an x-axis, uh, left-right, okay? From left to right. And I was like over here, right? I was over here on the right. And then Donald Trump won. And now there's a Y axis to this chart. And this is pro-Trump, anti-Trump. So there are a bunch of different categories you can be in, right? If you think of a, of a normal X, Y chart, there are a number of areas you can be, right? You can be, you can be to the left and pro-Trump, right? There are some people who are like that. You can be to the left and anti-Trump. It's in this quadrant. You can be to the right and pro-Trump. This is up here like Dennis Prager and sometimes Andrew Clavin. And, if you, and you can be down here in the lower right-hand corner of my chart here. And that 
side is the anti-Trump right wing. So I've been really strenuously attempting to not go anywhere on the pro-Trump, anti-Trump scale, right? I don't care about that scale. I think the, the y-axis means nothing to me because Trump is not an important person. Politicians are not important people. Personal loyalty to politicians is not my bag. So that means that I'm just on that x-axis, which means that if you're looking at the y-axis, then I'm still at zero, right? So I'm a moderate on the pro-Trump, anti-Trump scale because I'm right at zero. Right? I'm not moving from there. But where it really counts on conservative versus non-conservative, I'm actually far to the right. So the reason that I point this out is because the Republican Party has broken down into a bunch of different ways because of the addition of this y-axis to the basic math of our politics. So in the one area, you have people like Mike Pence. Mike Pence is in the conservative, super-duper pro-Trump, I'll defend anything he says category. He's up there in the upper right-hand quadrant. And then you got Chris Christie, who's doing the same thing. Sad, sad Chris Christie, who's become a shadow of his former self, which means that he's only 100 pounds overweight as opposed to 900 pounds overweight. Here's Chris Christie defending Donald Trump over all of this in the desperate hope that one day Donald Trump will be his friend and stops taking his lunch money. Well, John, listen, I've known the president for 15 years, and I know exactly what he meant by those comments yesterday. Um, he respects Vladimir Glad Putin because he believes that the leaders of countries deserve to get treated with respect. He wants to be treated with respect around the world, and he believes Vladimir Putin should be. But it doesn't mean uh, that he agrees with him. It doesn't mean that he won't fight him, and it doesn't mean that he won't stand up to him. And as far as his back and forth with Bill O'Reilly, let me tell you, I've had hundreds and hundreds of conversations with the president over the years. The president likes to volley back and forth with people. And when he's being challenged, he likes to challenge back. But the fact of the matter is, I know what? President Trump believes that America is morally superior to Russia. I know Glad that you he'll do, stand up and say be that. tough with Vladimir Putin. But I also so most, know... Can we stop he, it there? Most of the conversations Chris Christie had with Donald Trump consist of, Chris, go get your donuts. Go. Just get out. I don't want to see your ugly face. Okay, that's half the conversations between Trump and Christie now. So Christie's in that upper right-hand quadrant. He's really kind of closer to the middle in terms of right-left. So he's in that upper right-hand quadrant, but not as far right as Mike Pence. Then you've got people like Mitch McConnell. And Mitch McConnell is sort of like Chris Christie on politics in many ways, but he's in the lower right-hand corner. So he he's cautiously, he's kind of right around, almost right around the center of the chart. He's almost right around the center of the chart because sometimes he's pro-Trump, sometimes he's anti-Trump, but he's never clearly anti-Trump. So what he's doing is what a lot of the Republican Party is doing, which is, let's wait and see. I'm not going to condemn him even when he does things wrong because maybe he'll be useful to me. And this, I think, is actually the most dangerous position, more dangerous even than Christie's. Here's Mitch McConnell being asked about the, the utterances of, of Donald Trump on, on Russia. Does it trouble you that he said this? I mean, I'm trying to imagine... Your response, if President Obama had defended the murderous reign of Putin by saying, you think our country's so innocent? Well, look, I'm not going to critique the president's uh, every utterance, but I do think America is exceptional. America is different. Uh, we don't operate in any way the, the Russians do. I think there's a clear distinction here uh, that all Americans understand. And uh, no, I, I would not have uh, characterized it that way. I'm not going to spend the whole interview on this, but you say all our Americans understand. <clears throat> Are you confident the president understands it? Because he just said something that could have been broadcast on RT. I mean, he said, uh, we got a lot of killers out there. You think our country's so innocent when asked specifically by Bill O'Reilly, no less, about Vladimir Putin being a thug. Again, if Barack Obama had said this, I can't imagine there wouldn't be protests in the street. 
Look, Jack, I, I can speak for myself, and I already have, about my feelings about uh, Vladimir Putin and the way the Russians Okay, so operate. basically McConnell is going gonna, is gonna to mush mouth it. He's going to give mashed potatoes answer. The reason I think this is a dangerous position is because you're allowing Trump moral leadership where political leadership is all you really want from him. All McConnell wants from Trump is the right political things. But that doesn't mean you have to buy into Trump's moral system in order to get those right political things if you're Mitch McConnell. If you're Mitch McConnell, your best hope is all of the stupid things Trump says just sort of get thrown out in the wash, and all of the good stuff stays. But the only way to do that is to clearly separate off when he says bad things. When he says stupid things about Vladimir Putin, the best thing to do is say, well, that's not us. That's not us. Why? Because otherwise what's going to happen is you're going to end up smashing together all the dumb things Trump says with all the good things he's doing. And that's a mistake. Right? I've given Trump a grade the last couple of weeks. In the first week, I thought he got a B plus. Last week, I thought he got an A minus. But what I've tried to do there is separate out the things he's saying from the things that he's doing. Many of the things he's doing are wonderful. Many of the things that he's saying are asinine. The reason that I do that is so that I don't, I don't want the public, I don't want Americans to think that all of the things he's doing are inseparable from the things he's saying. If they think you can't have good policy on immigration, you can't have good policy on taxes, you can't have good policy on any of this stuff without also saying stupid things about Vladimir Putin, Pretty soon the American people are going to go, well, I guess we'll get rid of the policy and we'll just, I mean, we can't have this kind of rhetoric. We can't have the president saying that we're equivalent to a Russian oligarchy that murders people. We can't do that. And so it's very dangerous what McConnell is doing because by allowing Trump to control the narrative, not only with regard to policy, which is fine, I mean, he's the president, he can do a lot of that, but with regard to the moral narrative, you end up in a position where the two get smushed together. As I, I said this before the election, that this was the great danger of Trump, is that Trump was going to take conservatism and smear it in mud. And then, even if the policy was good, it was too late. It was already smeared in mud. That's why I'm on Team Sass, Ben Sass, Senator from Nebraska, who apparently doesn't care about if Donald Trump tweets nasty things at him. Here's what Senator Sass had to say about Donald Trump's Putin comments. You know, I'll be honest, I don't know what the president's trying to do with statements like he allegedly has on O'Reilly on the Super Bowl tonight. So I've only seen little clips of it. I, there may be a broader context, but let's be clear. Has the U.S. ever made any mistakes? Of course. Is the U.S. at all like Putin's regime? Not at all. The U.S. affirms freedom of speech. Putin is no friend of freedom of speech. Putin is an enemy of freedom of religion. The U.S. celebrates freedom of religion. Putin is an enemy of the free press. The U.S. celebrates free press. Putin is an enemy of political dissent. The U.S. celebrates political dissent and the right for people to argue free from violence about places where our ideas are in conflict. There is no moral equivalency between the United States of America, the greatest freedom-loving nation in the history of the world, and the murderous thugs that are in, in uh, Putin's defense of his cronyism. More broadly, There's no moral equivalency more, there. More broad okay, so why can't they just say that? Why couldn't Pence just say that? Why couldn't he just say, you know, I, you'll, you'll have to ask Donald Trump what he means for himself. Obviously, the United States is morally superior to Russia. Obviously, America is not Putin. Is this really difficult? Or is he, there's a lot of pussyfooting going around at the White House and in the Republican Party. Everyone is very much afraid of Donald Trump because Trump is sort of a blunt instrument. He may lash out and he may hit you. Who cares? If you don't have the political courage to stand up against somebody in your own party saying that America is equivalent to Vladimir Putin's Russia, and don't give me all this faux sophisticate Noam Chomsky bullcrap about how he's right. He's not right, okay? It's not true. When you do this, well, if you really think about it, you know what, what you, if you really think about it means? It means that you haven't really thought about it. Okay, whenever somebody says, well, if you really think about what he's saying, no, okay? What he said was a bunch of garbage, and, and this idea that if you just thought about it longer, you'd be a sophisticate like Donald Trump about politics is just insulting. Okay, now, here's for some good Trump. And here I'm going to defend Trump from a lot of people who have been all over his case about immigration. So, 
Over the weekend, right before the weekend, the Seattle judge named James Robard, who's a George W. Bush appointee, he issued a temporary injunction against Trump's immigration and refugee executive order. And the order applied both nationally and locally. It stopped Trump's plans on refugees, as well as admission from Iran, Iraq, Libya, Somalia, Sudan, Syria, Yemen. So now it means that all those people can still come in. Now, the part of this that's ridiculous is that the judge's order has nothing to do, nothing to do with the law or the Constitution. He doesn't even bother to spell out the legal reasoning behind striking down the order. He basically just says, I don't like the order. I'm striking it down. That's really what he says. The only indicator that we have from this judge as to what exactly happened here is that in the oral arguments, the government said that Trump's order was about stopping terrorism, and Robart said that it was based in fiction because that no terrorist attacks had been perpetrated in the United States by people from the seven named countries. Well, that's asinine, okay? That, that, that's not necessary, just on a legal level. Forget about the policy level. On a legal level, it's really silly to say that if, you, that if you can't give a judge a good enough excuse why you passed a piece of legislation, therefore the judge gets to throw it out. And it's the judge's sole discretion as to whether there's an excuse or not. Do we have to wait for somebody from Yemen to, to commit a terrorist attack in order to do this? We have to wait for Americans to die in order to do this? It's a very silly argument. It has nothing to do with legality. Now, again, there are policy grounds where you can say that Trump's order is overbroad or it's too narrow. But for the judge to do it, this has nothing to do with the role of a judge. So President Trump gets on Twitter and he begins lashing out. And there are a bunch of reasons why the judge's decision is bad. It's not clear he had jurisdiction. Putting a temporary injunction on the entire nationwide policy is idiotic because you have a bunch of district courts that actually disagree. Right now, the Supreme Court is still split four to four, so you could very easily end up with the courts of appeals deciding different things for different areas of the country. In any case, here's what Donald Trump tweeted. He tweeted, quote, The opinion of this so-called judge, which, is, which essentially takes law enforcement away from our country, is ridiculous and will be overturned. What is our country coming to when a judge can halt a homeland security travel ban and anyone, even with bad intentions, can come into U.S.? Because the ban was lifted by a judge, many very bad and dangerous people may be pouring into our country. A terrible decision. The judge opens up our country to potential terrorists and others that do not have our best interests at heart. Bad people are very happy. And then he continues. I mean, this is like, it's, it's, in, it's a five-paragraph essay. Just cannot believe a judge would put our country in such peril. If something happens, blame him and court system. People pouring in. Bad. It wouldn't be a Trump tweet without the without the three-letter word followed by an exclamation point. Bad. I have instructed Homeland Security to check people coming into our country very carefully. The courts are making the job very difficult. Okay, so people lose their ever-loving minds over this. How could Donald Trump say something like so-called judge? How could Donald Trump say that it's the judge's fault that all this is happening? So some of this is okay and some of this is not so great. Some of this is good and some of it is not so great. So first of all, the system was built to accommodate an executive branch that doesn't like what the judicial branch just did. It was built to accommodate that. The proper solution is to have Congress either impeach the judge or re-enshrine the law over the executive order. Right? And there are plenty of ways to go around this. Right? You can pass it as a separate piece of legislation. You could defund the court. You could strip the court of jurisdiction. District courts are created under the Constitution by the, by the Congress. Okay? They don't independently spring up. So there are plenty of things Congress can do if Congress wants to do. There are plenty of checks and balances here. The idea that it's just one judge and he's making all the policy, it's just not true. And so... You know, all of the panic here. Oh, my God, Trump this to judge. I don't remember them doing this when Barack Obama got up during the State of the Union address, I think it was 2013, and he proceeded to rip into the Supreme Court over Citizens United and lie about the nature of the decision, saying it allowed foreign funding of our elections. He said that in front of the Supreme Court, which was not true. And Sam Alito, one of the justices, you could see him sitting there shaking his head, and the entire left, how could the judge be so rude to Obama? 
You see how times change? Trump's rude to a judge, end of world. Trump, Obama's rude to a judge. Judge shakes his head, judge is the bad guy. So you can see where the bias lies in all of this. So Trump has every right to criticize the court's decision. That said, that said, there is one problem with what Trump did here. And that is, at one, it's sort of the logical extension of what Trump does. So if I thought that Trump were just attacking the judge because the decision is wrong, that would be one thing. I think Trump attacks judges just because he doesn't like what the judge does, right? As we saw during the campaign with the Mexican judge who, who wasn't Mexican, right? And he said that he wasn't capable of being a good judge. Yeah, Trump has this tendency to go over his skis a little bit. I think he did that a little bit here. So when he said at one point here, cannot believe a judge would put our country in such peril. If something happens, blame him and the court system. And so much for the buck stops here. Here's the problem with this. You can agree with Trump that this, this decision endangers American security. That's perfectly fine and perfectly logical. But this is also an excuse that an authoritarian would use. Okay. The job of the judges is to judge the law. This judge didn't judge the law. He's a bad judge, or apparently in this case, he's bad. Okay, he's bad judgment. That said, the easiest thing in the world to do politically is to have a president of the United States who says, security concerns mandate that I violate this right and this right and this right. And then the judges say, you know what? He's right. You know what? He's right. Or conversely, the judges say, no, you can't do that. There are a bunch of rights at risk here, and we're not going to let him do this. And then the president says, you know what? It's those judges' fault you're not safe anymore. Give me more power. Give me more power. Virtually all of the executive overreach that's happened in the 20th century, not virtually, a large portion of the executive overreach that's happened in the 20th century has happened because the president has said, give me more power for your security. If you give me more power to overrule courts, to run around Congress, then I will be able to save you. That's not something I generally like. And Trump setting himself in opposition to courts generally is a problem. That's why today when Donald Trump is saying things like, again, if you separate off what Trump does from what he says, things are going pretty well. If you just look at what he says, you have to go, wait, what's, what's going on now? Today, Donald Trump said that any poll that doesn't show support for him is fake news. No, it isn't. And if you're a Trump supporter, you should want him to pay attention to the actual facts in the, in, the, in the ether out there, because otherwise he's just going to ensconce himself in this little bubble, make himself very unpopular, and get his ass kicked in four years. So that's a, that, that'd be a big mistake. Okay, time for some things I like and then some things that I hate. So, things I like. I promised Mathis I would do this one because we both love this movie. This is On the Waterfront with Marlon Brando. I was shocked I hadn't mentioned this before. This is actually one of my top five movies. It's Elliot Kazan, who is largely blacklisted in Hollywood. And, this, and the whole movie is an allegory for his fight against McCarthyism. So he was called in to testify against communists in Hollywood. There were communists in Hollywood. There was significant infiltration of communists into a lot of the labor unions in Hollywood, so bad that when they struck and shut down the studios, Ronald Reagan, this is basically how Ronald Reagan became a conservative, Ronald Reagan, who was then one of the leaders of the Screen Actors Guild, he, he went in a bus and they were throwing rocks at him and trying to assault him. So On the Waterfront is, is really about Elliot Kazan testifying before the House on american Activities Committee. In, in the movie, On the Waterfront, it's about Marlon Brando, who's this ex-boxer, he's this washed-up boxer, who's been undercut by his brother and the local mob. He was put up for a shot at the title, and then they had him lose because they wanted to make a lot of money off the betting, and he never really got his shot, and he's always been upset about that. And now the mob has taken over the local waterfront, and he realizes that he's been engaged with a really evil system the whole time, and he decides to basically testify against the mob that runs the local waterfront. Uh, and the mob is tied in with the union. So here is a little bit of the preview for On the Waterfront. He 
in my philosophy of life. Do it to him before he does it to you. What do you want? Your gun. We got the baddest piers and the baddest harbor in the world. Everything moves in and out, we take our gun. Joey. Who'd want to kill Joey? Now listen, you know who the pistols are. You're going to keep still until they cut you down one by one? It's a really first-rate movie. It really holds up well. The score is great. It's Leonard Bernstein who wrote the score. So it's uh, it's the same guy who wrote West Side Story for people who don't pay attention to this sort of thing. Great, great score. Uh, and so, um, you know, take, take a look at this movie. It, again, some of the great performances in screen history. I think three people in, from this film were nominated for Best Supporting Actor from the same film. I think it was Lee J. Cobb and Carl Malden and, um, and Rod Steiger were all nominated, and all of them are terrific. Okay, other things that I like. So I mentioned earlier, Melissa McCarthy had herself a hell of a weekend. She was in, I think, the most popular commercial in the Super Bowl, and she also, on Saturday Night Live, did the only funny thing I've seen on Saturday Night Live for probably a year, uh, two years maybe. And She did an imitation of Sean Spicer. So Sean Spicer is Trump's press secretary, and the dude is amped up lately. I mean, lately... He just cannot be controlled. He cannot be. He cannot be stopped. He can only. You can only hope to contain Sean Spicer. And there's always this air of slight embarrassment about Sean Spicer. Like he knows this isn't what he's supposed to be doing. He can't believe that he's come to this. That he goes out there and he has to demonstrate to Trump how aggressive he is. He has to demonstrate to Trump that he is the king of aggression. And so Melissa McCarthy does a very funny bit playing Sean Spicer. Here's what it looked like. TV today when he entered the room the crowd greeted him with a standing ovation which lasted a full 15 minutes and you can check the tape on that everyone was smiling everyone was happy the men all had erections and every single one of the women was ovulating left and right <laughs> it's 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 really funny it's like seven minutes long uh and it's it's really aggressive and it's really funny. Uh, again, it's the, the stuff they do about Trump is really not funny, and I'm not even bothered doing it from the things I hate. But it, the stuff they do about Trump, Alec Baldwin cannot do Trump for his life. Like I do a better Trump than Alec Baldwin, and my Trump is terrible. It's not a good Trump, but it's better than Alec Baldwin's. The people love my Trump; they love it, but they do not love Alec. Ba Alec Baldwin's Trump is really garbage. And whenever they write for him, they just write it in the stupidest possible way. And they have Steve Bannon come in, and he always is played by the angel of death. Which is really ridiculous. I mean, if you're going to have Steve Bannon played by someone, it has to be John Goodman from 10 Cloverfield Lane. 
mean, as somebody who knows Steve Bannon, that's that's not a terrible, it's not a terrible comparison. Okay, one, time for one thing I hate, and then we'll wrap it up. So here is the things I hate. Let's do it. So Kellyanne Conway, uh, she just keeps saying, as a defense to everything, we won. Like, she just keeps saying this over and over. So over the weekend, it, she said this thing that was silly about how there was a Bowling Green massacre and the media was ignoring it. And it turns out there's no such thing as the Bowling Green massacre, so there's a good reason the media is ignoring it. Uh, and then she walked it back. Chelsea Clinton said to her, there's no Bowling Green massacre. And she basically tweeted back at Chelsea Clinton, we won. Okay, those two things are unrelated. Okay, we won is not an answer to you lied. If I say you lied and you go, well, I won, that doesn't justify the lie. And the fact that so many people on my side of the political aisle, the other side of the political aisle too has always felt this way, but it's disturbing that it's on my side too. So many people on our side of the political aisle now think that we won is an excuse for I lied is really kind of disturbing. There's more of that a little bit. Uh, over the weekend, Kellyanne Conway was asked about uh, the airport protests, and here's her answer. The right to seat his own government. How about, I've got a novel idea, how about if the Senate just confirms his nominee to the Department of Justice for Attorney General, Jeff Sessions? The Democrats have delayed his hearing, delayed his vote. They've tried to humiliate and embarrass him. As we sit here right now, we have a record number of unconfirmed nominees to a presidential cabinet, 11, including Treasury and Commerce. So the Democrats want to go, they want to go on the record. They have time to go and cry and weep at the airports protesting something that they've uh, completely bastardized as to what it truly is and what its intent and what its effect is, it, it, this immigration order. Well, me, and yet they don't have that. time to, to they don't have give a fair hearing and an up or down vote on these nominees. You want to vote against? Vote against. But at least give people the hearing and the decency of a vote. Okay, first of all, that wasn't exactly the clip I was looking for. That's what she said there is fine, actually. Um, although, again, I think that you know, the system is going to work how the system works. But what she actually said that was bothersome to me is that she was asked about the protests, and she said, Democrats have time to cry and weep at airports, but they don't have time to go vote. Okay, first of all, all the people in New York voted. Okay, all the people who are, who are Boston Logan, they voted. All the people in L.A., they also voted. So I just want to be careful with a lot of this rhetoric because it assumes that Trump won some sweeping, magnificent victory, and he really didn't. And the more you keep saying to people, we won, the more people want to shove it in your face. So you're really courting disaster electorally by continuing with the we won as an excuse for your activity. How about this? How about... We think that the protests were misguided. People have a right to express their opposition. Why is this so difficult? Why is this so difficult? And it's because the sort of testosterone macho nature of the Trump administration means they double down on everything. They can never back away from anything. So far, it's worked out well for them. We'll find out if that luck holds uh, or if this is going to be sort of like the Falcons who are off to a big lead and then suddenly uh, it starts to fall apart. We can hope that, that Trump puts it together instead of allowing it all to fall apart. Okay. We will be back tomorrow with more. I'm speaking tonight at one of the colleges, so hopefully it'll go well, uh, and there will be no crazy protests. I think tonight should be okay. In a couple of days is Marquette University. That one, there's been a little bit more hubbub about, but we'll talk about that tomorrow. Until then, I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second first. Pure Talk believes in American values, and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So, 
I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 